Into sports. 20 yards out. Urge to shoot. Don't shoot. Oh, what a goal from Fabinho. Wow. Then get into the all-new OTB Sports app. I think when he apologizes to me, I probably will say hello to him. Yeah, no. Videos, sports news, live scores, interviews. If Abregas is going to come up to me in the street and give me some of a mouth that he would have given me on a football pitch, what do you do? You get a slap. Plus exclusive content on the OTB Podcast Network. The biggest names in sports. Ready when you are. Search OTB Sports on your app store and download it now. The OTB Podcast Network. With Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. Brady and Belichick have been at the forefront of the credit in New England for the last 20 years. The Snap Super Bowl preview on OTB Sports with Now TV. Catch all the action this weekend with a Now TV Sky Sports Pass. So, for the very first time in history, there will be a home team in the Super Bowl. It is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers hosting the Kansas City Chiefs, and we get to talk about it here on our Super Bowl special with Now TV. Catch the Super Bowl, the game in the preview shows this weekend with a Now TV Sky Sports Pass with us this week, as ever, Ronan Mullen and Kian Fahey. Gentlemen, you're both very welcome this Friday afternoon. Uh, Kian, I might start with you. Um, are you excited about the quality of game that we're going to have this weekend? Did we get the right matchup at the end of this very weird season? You know, it's something I've been thinking about. Is the Super Bowl this year, in this weird year that we're in, is it a bigger deal or a smaller deal? Like, because it, the, it, we, it can go two ways. It's either nothing's going on, we can't go out and have parties. Obviously, we don't really do that here. But in America, they can't go out and have parties. So the game itself might be less of a spectacle. Or it might be more. It might be a reason to have a celebration at home. It might be more of a reason to connect with other people. So I think the actual pageantry of it, the event of it, can go either direction. I think the game itself, I think, should be really good. I... I've kind of said all year, it's very hard to see anyone beating the Chiefs. But if you're going to beat the Chiefs, you're going to have to do it while they're hurt. And they are hurt. They're offensive linemen. They're missing both offensive tackles. And you're going to need to do it with a defense that has players up front who can get consistent pressure on Mahomes and beat him up the same way the 49ers did last year. So I think you've definitely got the matchups here. I think you've got the quality of player here. Like Any Chiefs game is incredible to watch because something's going to happen with Mahomes. Something's going to happen with Kelsey. Something Hill is going to make everyone else look ridiculously slow. So there is definitely going to be excitement on the field it's definitely going to be a quality matchup here i'm just wondering about the pageantry more than anything else yeah well i i, I look it'll be interesting to see there will be fans in the crowd we know there's twenty five thousand there so there will be some noise and some spectacle and sure they've done a great job in florida keeping covid oh wait hang on a second let let's just wait and see how that all works out too ronan for you is it the right pairing the right two teams or actually would it have been better if it was the green bay packers here yeah there is a there is a touch of you know, passing up the torch about the whole thing and it's been one of the narratives and we'll get to it in the pick six about Mahomes being maybe the only one who could threaten Brady's supremacy in the long term. But as a pure football matchup, I think everybody wanted to see Aaron Rodgers who looked to be back to the peak of his powers, who possibly just put down a career year off the back of what was maybe a couple of down years. And that probably would have been in terms of fireworks show, you know, kind of a, a blow for blow type match, which probably would have catered for for even the, the clued-in fans and the, the casual fans. But similarly, like the whole Brady thing, I think everybody sees Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. They're going to be keen to watch it. And as uh, Keane, mentioned, as Keane alluded to there, like there are so many wrinkles to it that should make it very interesting on both sides of the ball. All right, if anybody wants to get in touch, you can uh, leave a comment on the YouTube stream. It's very handy for us. Or, of course, you can always WhatsApp us. 0879-180-180 is the number. Let's get into the world-famous patented pick six. Uh, where are we starting here, Ronan? What's number one? 
As I said there, Jerry, we have to start, as all other sports shows are starting with the QB matchup. So because the Super Bowl is in Florida, we are kicking off with a Disney reference, Brady and the champ. This is the first time in Super Bowl history where the two last Super Bowl winning quarterbacks have gone head to head. So obviously Mahomes won it last year and Brady the year before. So it's the goat versus the kid, Yoda versus baby Yoda. And it's, it's a bit like if, if Michael Jordan had gone to the Wizards and actually done well and got the Wizards into an NBA Finals and ended up going against this young, precocious LeBron James. And that's kind of what that would have been a ESPN's dream, for example, if that kind of thing had gone down. But that's kind of what we're getting here, where, like, I'll admit, I think when we did the post-Brady to the Bucks show, I thought it was kind of a branding thing, the whole TV It'll help him sell his book. And if he gets to 45, even with a, a few notable wins, he'll be able to sell his book and his merch and it'll work out really well. Like the flip has happened where he went to a really strong team and made them stronger. It was almost his draw that got the likes of Antonio Brown in the door and Leonard Fournette, who we'll get to later in the pick six, that this is a, a really strong team also on defense. And like for all that James Winston was lampooned last year, like he put up 30 touchdowns. It was the 30 interceptions that was the problem. And Tom Brady has managed to weed them out and kind of kept the pro- the production line on that offense. And that's why they're here. And the defense, Brady threw three interceptions, as was well documented in the championship game. And it was the defense that got them over the hurdle. And it's going to be the defense which will get them over the hurdle here. But the QBs, like it's, the, it's so sellable for, for everybody. And we should like the legacy of it. Like Brady is undisputed as the greatest QB of all time, given his record to this date. But if anyone's going to catch him, it's going to be Patrick Mahomes because he's already on pace to do it. Yeah. If he can get if he can get this Super Bowl on Sunday, he's already ahead of the pace that Brady set in those early Super Bowls in the early noughties. So, but on the flip side of that, if Brady beats Mahomes in this Super Bowl, having already beaten him in their previous playoff matchup. It doesn't matter if Mahomes wins seven uh, Super Bowls because Brady will always have that over him. Brady, in the latter days of his career, still had too much for, quote-unquote, the most talented quarterback of all time. So, yeah, I think... it's hard. Oh, it's hard, Keen, to to actually um, measure two great quarterbacks against each other because uh, you know, um, rightfully, Ronan brings up the last time they met, but ultimately, that was decided by the flip of a coin because in overtime, Brady gets the ball and uh, not Mahomes, and they score a touchdown, and that's game over. So, they, these are always going to be difficult. It's like when Tiger Woods was very young and uh, announced himself with his hundred-stroke victory at the. Uh, at the Masters, it was like, oh, it's it's absolutely 100% nailed on certain that he's going to end up breaking Jack Nicklaus's record. We don't know what's going to happen. There could be injury. Already, Patrick Mahomes, we know, is a Hall of Famer on the basis of what he's done in his career up to this point because of the records that he set and because of the pace at which he has erupted into the league. I, I, I kind of feel like what we're seeing with Mahomes is the, is, uh, the progress of humanity where he is, he's kind of a, a hybrid of where Leo Messi was at, where LeBron James was at, when they were at that early stage in their career. And that's why I'm actually more excited about watching him than anything else this weekend. Uh, we're going in the Darwin direction this morning, are we? Uh, I, I think the... By the way, we, if we're going to patent the pick six, we need to patent it. So I might get that patent reference in there. Um, I, I think the quarterback matchup here is kind of inconsequential for short term because we know, everyone knows right now, that Patrick Mahomes is so much better than Tom Brady. Like Tom Brady went to Tampa Bay and he went to a good roster and he went to a roster that was capable of taking that next step. And like Ronan mentioned, their big problem was Winston just turning the ball over too much. 
So Brady didn't come in and be one of the best quarterbacks in the league and drag the offense with him and complement the defense perfectly. He came in and he settled things down a little bit. And I actually think, and maybe it's it's, it's kind of a, a take area or kind of a, a kind of a talking head kind of point, but I do think there's some validity to the idea that there's a leadership element with Brady that's come in and there's a belief element because I think the guys on the roster and even on the defense would have looked at Winston and thought, we, we can't win with this guy. He's going to throw the game away. We like What's what's our uh, value here? Because we could have a great drive and he's going to come in and in one play ruin it all. Whereas having Brady there, he has such this iconic status around players and all these players he's playing with right now have grown up watching him win Super Bowls. So I do think that's an actual factor for the Buccaneers. And the reason I'm talking about this is it's very hard to sell the Buccaneers as winning this game in a football sense because the Chiefs are just so far ahead of everyone else. And Mahomes is on a level where he will give you that two-score lead. He will give you a couple of drops early on, a couple of bad reads early on, and then they'll just erase that lead. And that's the, the level that Mahomes is at when he turns it on. Like I've, I've mentioned this previously on our shows that the Chiefs have only played one complete game this year, and that was that Ravens game in week three. And I believe that's because the way they have, the way their mindset is, the way their setup is, they didn't really take the regular season all that seriously. They knew they could beat the teams they needed to beat. They saw the Ravens as a real rival, as a real equal. So they wanted to make that statement and go destroy them, and they did destroy them. The Buccaneers, on the other hand, are now in the Super Bowl. They're not necessarily on their level, but because it's the Super Bowl, you expect Andy Reid to come out with everything he's got. You expect Mahomes to be giving you four quarters of quality football like he did in last year's Super Bowl, despite those turnovers and the mistakes that came. I think they were forced by the 49ers' defense rather than mistakes necessarily created by their own accord. So I, I think the Buccaneers are a good matchup defensively. I don't think the quarterback versus quarterback story, as much as it has to be a story, is really a thing because Mahomes is just so far better than him. Brady wasn't even good throughout the playoffs. And he's actually won Super Bowls without being good throughout the playoffs. So that might not matter in the end. OK, well, let's move on because um, we're going to get on to the coaching battle next. Is that right, Ronan? Yeah, so spag bowl, Jer. And if we looked at the Google Analytics of the Super Bowl, you know, Brady and Mahomes have been one and two probably. But in the top 10 is Steve Spagnolo, who famously like put the, the knockers on Brady's undefeated season back in 2007. And it was with what Keen mentioned there, that like front foot pressure, like at the top of the defense. And they're going to have to kind of do that again because as much as Brady has declined relative to his, his brilliance in former days, he's still brilliant against the zone. And if you give him time, you know, he's going to he's going to find the passes to do some damage with the weapons that he's got. And that's why it's critical that Spagnolo can like, annoy him in the in the pocket, basically get him off his get him off his stance and make him throw before he wants to. And that was the those were the ingredients that did it for Brady in 07 and that's what's if he's not going to win this time that's going to be the reason and there are some interesting defensive matchups I'm sure Keane has like earmarked a couple of them but the, the whole idea of the a honey badger will probably be the defining player in this game one way or another because he's a bit of a gambler and he could if he gets up like if he's going to be getting involved but if he gets involved in the positive sense that's going to be, that's going to clinch the game for the Chiefs, but if Brady can make him make those gambles work against him almost, and you know this is Ned Reed we're talking about, this isn't like a ball hook. If Honey Badger's not getting his hands dirty on every down, he f- kind of feels ineffective, and I think Brady will be hoping, easier said than done, to use that against him. And then on the flip side, Todd Bowles will have a lot to will have a lot to say here because if the Bucks are going to win this game, their defense has to play lights out. And to his credit, as much as it's going to be. Reed and Arians getting the press in in the next few days. I do think it's taken as a given that the offenses are going to be brilliant, 
and it will come down to the D coordinators doing their job on Sunday. All right, uh, Keen, is there much in this that either of these two defensive coordinators can have a brain fart or a, a bad day? I mean, like, so Green Bay fired their defensive coordinator for allegedly one incident that happens just before halftime where they give up a, a touchdown when they completely misalign and, and, and just pick the wrong thing to do. You've got to assume that that was coming irrespective of, of what um, was going to happen this year anyway. So that, that might have been the, the straw that broke the camel's back. But is, is, is there stuff that you can see happening um, in, the, in the negative way from either of these defensive coordinators that will cost their team the game? Well, they're similar styles of coaches and they've still are similar resumes because both are former head coaches and they had modicum of success. They didn't have sustained success. They didn't build great teams. Neither of them ever had a great quarterback as far as I remember. But the, uh, the, the style of play is very much aggressive. It's very much disguise and high. And actually, you might remember this better than I do. I remember the safety that Brady had in his first Super in, in, on the first play of the Super Bowl as the 2007 Super Bowl against the Giants, when that, which was against Spagnuolo, which was him being confused by what the defense was doing. And that's kind of what Spagnuolo has done successfully against Brady in the past, where Brady normally is one step ahead of the defense all the time. He always knows where to go with the ball as soon as the ball is snapped. With Spagnuolo, he's always been successful at showing him one thing and going to something else and keeping him off rhythm and keeping him off balance. Like You can do it to Brady once, but if you set it up with three or four players beforehand, the great defensive coordinators and defensive coordinators who are really at that high level can do it to him, then build off of that, and then build off that again, and keep doing that for four quarters. And that's how you beat Brady. Otherwise, well, that's how you beat Brady in his prime. Now he might give you the ball. He's been kind of struggling physically a little bit. But in terms of the defensive approach, you can't really sit back and show him the same thing all the time because he'll just pick it apart. And a key for me for is Lajarius Sneed, who is a defensive back for the Chiefs, who has four sacks in the last four games. He's a defensive back. He's not a pass rusher. And that shows you the style of defense they have. He's a slot cornerback or a safety who's coming off the edge, who's showing that he's in coverage, and then as soon as the ball is snapped, he's suddenly in the backfield. And that's what Spagnuolo does. And he, was, he had no fear of doing it to Josh Allen two weeks ago. And Josh Allen is a scary guy to blitz because he'll fend off your pass rusher or he'll just scramble and run away. Brady can't do that anymore. So if you win off the snap, you will get him. And if you have Lajarius Sneed, who is an outstanding pass rusher for a defensive back, like the, the sack on Josh Allen he got two weeks ago, Allen was trying to fend him off 15 yards moving backwards and Snead just managed to hold on to him stay with him and then everyone corralled him and got him in the backfield that's the kind of defense you have it's attacking it's going to come forward they're not going to sit back and try and force Brady to throw underneath all the time and this is interesting because there's a clash of styles here Bruce Arians as a, as a head coach as an offensive coach wants to push the ball down the field which is going to be difficult to do if, if Spagnuolo is attacking you properly on the other side of the ball I think it's less about the coach. I think it's more about Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett winning against the backup offensive tackles on the edge. But even then, because of how good Patrick Mahomes is, you're going to need Ndamukong Su and Vita Voya, who's just come back off of a devastating ankle injury. Those two need to have to push the pocket in the middle as well. You have to win at all four spots if you're going to contain Mahomes. So on one side, it's mostly about individual execution. And on the other side, it's about the coach setting guys up for success and countering Brady. OK, is there any possibility that this is not an absolute score fest and that we, we have quite a tight game early on, given that both defences are quite strong defences? I think that's that's very much possible. I think it's... If we don't have it, I think the game goes one of two ways. It's either the Chiefs and the, the Bucks go back and forth and it, 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 the game finishes 35-28 and it's over, hitting all the overs, whatever you want. And it's a great drama, great game. 
I also I think it's very possible that the Chiefs go to 35, go to 38, go to 42, and the Buccaneers wind up at 21 or 14 and are only getting those points laid on. I don't really see a way in which the Tampa defense can really contain the Chiefs offense. So it's really a matter of can you win by outscoring them? Can you get a couple of turnovers? But the offense for Tampa Bay is under huge pressure because they're going to have to put up a big score or they're going to have to shorten the game by having sustained drives, which is how the Patriots beat the Chiefs the last time when Brady was playing for them two years ago. Okay, well, maybe that's on to the next one. Is it? What's uh, number three here? Little Red Fournette there. So we can talk about the cast of characters. We've alluded to it already. The weaponry for both teams on offense is almost unparalleled in terms of what they have at their disposal this year. And like the, the names roll off the tongue in terms of Hill and Kelsey and also what the, what the Bucks have in terms of Evans and Godwin and so on. But like Leonard Fournette or playoff Lenny, as he's come to be known by his teammates in the last few weeks, who was kind of a little bit of a non-event in the regular season, albeit he signed, at, like he was released 13 days before the season by the Jags, picked up like Brady rang him almost immediately and said, come on, let's let's try and get this done in Tampa Bay. And he signed like a $2 million contract and he almost accepted, I'm not going to be the star like I was when I took the Jags to that AFC Championship game against Brady, ironically. And they, they probably should have won that in, in all fairness. But it's actually like it was the, the week 12 game against, um, against KC where he had a really bad game and was dropped for the following game. And... Like a rookie got in ahead of him. Obviously, Ronald Jones was there and LaShawn McCoy. So he was fourth on the roster at that stage. And it looked like there was no future for Leonard Fournette. But since the playoffs have kicked off, Ronald Jones had his, his COVID run in and Fournette's got in there. And he's just, he's kind of revitalized this team a little bit. And he gives them a pass option at running back and obviously a really effective downhill runner. And as I said, if if the Bucs are going to win, they need the defense to play well. They also need time of possession. And Leonard Fournette is a reliable guy in that regard. So as much as they are stacked at wide receivers like the Chiefs are, I think the running, the running backs are going to be key in this one. And Damian Williams was a game breaker for the Chiefs when things were up against the ropes in last year's Super Bowl. He's not around, obviously, this year. But they're probably going to need to get something going in terms of their running back game as well, I think. Yeah, let's just briefly talk about Fournette, Ian. Um, I think probably Fournette suffered because he was picked so high by the Jags, who were such a shambles, that his reputation suffered somewhat because there was no way he was going to live up to all of the players he was picked ahead of on a team that was so badly run. He's probably a very passable, if he'd been picked late in the first round or early in the second round, he'd be like, yeah, it's not a bad pick. You got good production out of that guy. He's not the fourth overall pick. And that's not his fault. You put him in a team like this, you put him with a coach who knows what he's talking about, all of a sudden you've got a really good player. Uh, I think he's miscast. Uh, you're, you're 100% right. He was drafted way too high, and that was said at the time. If you go back to his tape at LSU, it was a lot of one-cut, strong, r- big, true, uh, wide-running lanes. There wasn't a lot of diversity in what he had to do. There wasn't a lot of difficulty in what he had to do. He was just a much better athlete than everyone else, so it was easy for him. He should never have gone fourth. I'm not sure... Would he be a great running back in a better situation? I don't think so. Would he be a good running back in a better situation? Maybe. He's probably like an elite average running back in the right situation. The The problem for Fournette has always been that he's just a runner. So if he was born 20 years earlier, when he could play like Jerome Bettis or uh, any of the running backs, or Jamal Lewis, any of the running backs from the early noughties, late 90s, where running the ball was the most important thing in the world, then yeah, he could have been one of the greats. But because he's in this era of football, you have to be able to pass protect. You have to be able to run routes out of the backfield. You have to be able to line up out wide. You have to be able to consistently catch the ball. And Fournette has never done any of that. And one of the big issues the Bucs have had so far through the playoffs is they have nine drops in three games. And they had one drop in uh, against New Orleans. 
So they've had eight drops in the other two games. Chris Godwin was responsible for four of those. Leonard Fournette was responsible for three of those. And that's the inconsistency and the inefficiency you have with him that you can get away with when you're playing the Packers or playing the, the Saints or, or Washington. But you're not going to get away with it against the Chiefs if that happens. So they need him to play above his current level. But the interesting dynamic with the Buccaneers' backfield is Ronald Jones is very clearly the more talented running back. But whatever way they treat them, whatever way the mentally they are, whatever way they are acting within practice or within the facility, Ronald Jones has no margin forever. When he fumbles or drops the ball, he gets benched. When Fournette drops the ball and does something wrong or fumbles, he stays in the game and he's okay. He got benched after the, the last Chiefs game, but that was the only time. He's had lots of issues throughout the year and they've always stuck with him. So they really believe in Fournette and they don't believe that much in Jones, which is a potential problem for them because Jones is the guy who can catch the ball. Jones is the guy who can run routes. Jones is the more explosive, more dynamic runner. So you want the ball to be in his hands more than Fournette's. But we're probably going to see Fournette carry the, or carry the ball 20 times depending on how the scoreline goes. Okay. You mentioned that the tackles that are missing for um, the Chiefs. Just how important is this going to be? Because ultimately, if... if if there's any way that the Chiefs are going to lose this game, it's because they've managed, uh, because Tampa have somehow managed to keep Patrick Mahomes from having another MVP game. Yeah, well, if we go back to last year's Super Bowl, it's the perfect capture of what that offensive line was because on the right side, you had Mitchell Swartz and that side of the field was pretty much fine. That pocket was fine, was, wasn't a problem, wasn't, wasn't pressure coming through, there wasn't uh, free rushes coming through and Mitchell Swartz is one of the best right tackles in the league and that's why. On the left side, you had Eric Fisher going against Nick Bosa, and Nick Bosa was on top of Mahomes every single play. So they are used to a left side uh, or left tackle being limited, left tackle not being a great player. Eric Fisher is a good athlete who is valuable in the running game, but is always likely to be beaten uh, in pass protection. So losing him and downgrading to his replacement probably isn't a massive detail. Like you can probably get away with that. The, the concern is the knock-on effect. Is the right side now going to become an even bigger problem because you're going to your third string right tackle, who's actually a guard. So your right tackle has gone to left tackle. Your right guard has gone to right tackle. And you've got a new right guard in Stefan Wisniewski. So you've got these guys coming in who, one, aren't as good individually to hold up against these talented pass rushers and Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul. But you also have to have them all working on the same page. So this is a completely new offensive line that's never worked together. Mahomes is going to face pressure. Will it be the same kind of pressure you got from the 49ers last year? I'm, I, I tend to think not. I think that 49ers defense was special. I think this Buccaneers defense is very, very good, but they've got weaknesses you can attack in the secondary. Jamel Dean is a liability. Like Tyreek Hill going up against him, it's only going to take Mahomes a second to recognize that in single coverage and get the ball out. So it's up, it's up to Mahomes' mind beating the pass rush more than the offensive line, but we need to find out just how much that offensive line can give him. If the offensive line is average to above average, it could be a blowout. If the offensive line is below average or bad, then we finally get this really, really competitive game. But that's what we're talking about. It's like, it's a competitive game. And even then, if the offensive line is really, really bad, Mahomes' footwork and his mobility and his speed of thought and the speed with which he can get the ball out and the weapons that he has would suggest that he'll still be able to create some magic. And his scrambling. Remember last year when he got blown up at this, in the first quarter of the game? And he ran in, he, I can't remember if he ran in the touchdown in the end, but he ran them close. And he's running touchdowns in playoff games a lot. And I think this comes back to the game planning. Teams game plan better in the playoffs, the game plan more in the playoffs. Like more is probably the bad way to say it because they still generally only have a week or two between games. But they game plan better in the playoffs. So their priority going into this game is Tyree Kill can't beat us over the top because if he beats us over the top, it's an easy 60-yard touchdown. Okay, after that, that's what the Bills did. And then Travis Kelsey caught 25 passes or whatever he caught. He, we can't let that happen either because Kelsey is too good. He's too consistent. He'll make that happen. 
So we want to force them to run the ball. Okay, but their running game is pretty good too. You've got Clyde Hedges there. So if you account for Hill, you account for Kelsey, and you stop the running game, you still have to be able to contain Mahomes, even though he's not a great athlete or a great runner. He knows when to run. So this level of intelligence and this level of quality of quarterbacking elevates everything around him and just makes the Buccaneers' game plan on defense so frustratingly difficult. Ronan, you, you picked Fournette here as, as the talking point. Are you leaning towards the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and a uh, seventh heaven? Is that what you're thinking? It's just sort of, it's hard to believe that Tom Brady is an underdog in a Super Bowl and with the points as well. Like, I find it hard to pick against Tampa Bay almost with, with that in mind. But just on the, the Leonard Fournette point, I just think, because Keane said the minutia of it and the, they're going to be game planned to the nth degree that it's probably going to be a lesser light relative to the other players that could define it. As I said, Damien Williams got two touchdowns last year. I don't think he would have been earmarked as the guy that was going to kind of decide the Super Bowl ultimately. And I think Fournette is going to be a key part of the Bucks game plan. Like Brady is not the Brady of yore and they're going to have to have a good running game to get things going. He is decent off play action and he is relatively clutch. We haven't mentioned Scotty Miller, but like the touchdown that basically decided the game against Green Bay was one of the best throws of Brady's career at the age of 43. So he's still got that in his arsenal, but unless they can get a running game going, I, I can't see a path to victory for them. And as Keen mentioned, if Fournette's not at it in the first few minutes or the first few carries, <laughs> like the, the Bucks aren't afraid to, to mix it up. And if he's not productive in the first quarter, he'll be seeing the bench for the, la for the last three quarters. He definitely does seem to have um, Tom Brady support, though. So what's number four for us, the uh, pandemic Super Bowl? Yeah, just lockdown corner, Jer. And I, like I remember talking on the snap at the start of the season and like it kind of went off without a hitch initially, but then growing problems and growing problems and games being postponed and teams being mixed up. The Titans and the Ravens, most notably, like the Steelers were one of the teams most affected, but it, it wasn't quite their fault. It was more the Titans and the Ravens that had their in-house problems. But the NFL all the while said the Super Bowls happened on the 7th of February. We're not having the playoffs in a bubble like the NBA did. And here we are, like they've got here by hell or high water. And in fairness, I think you kind of have to tip your hat to them in the end. Like it's it's gone off pretty well. And Anthony Fauci's telling people not to be having Super Bowl parties. And that's all fair enough. But I think it is a, a release for the, the people of America almost in the way the NBA playoffs were, that they have this to look forward to. And it, it is a big deal. And as you said, as much as Florida has sort of belied the, the medical advice, there will be 22,000 people in attendance at this game. And one third of them will be vaccinated healthcare workers. So that that in itself is, is a nice touch. But yeah, I just thought it was worth reflecting on the NFL actually getting through this season. I think there was doubt, much like the college football at one point, that there would be no season at all. And the money obviously spoke. And they've delivered a good product, I think, for the most part. And as an NFL fan, I was quite glad to have it every weekend anyway. I think everybody would probably largely agree with that. Um, the, the NFL takes uh, rightfully a lot of crap for uh, mm. so much stuff that they do. Um, they've done very well in getting this, uh, getting these games on. So let's move on. The, the quarterback carousel. This is kind of the off-season stuff. Sorry, pick it. Everybody's picking the Chiefs, right? I, I mean, it's a clean sweep. I actually think it's more likely to be a blowout than not. I can't see Patrick Mahomes not taking that leap forward into super stratospheric levels of fame and celebrity he is literally the most exciting athlete on the planet at the moment and i think this is going to be one of those masterpieces that we look back on in the future and go wow look at look at what he did in the middle of the pandemic he absolutely slayed tom brady's tampa bay buccaneers at their own stadium that's my prediction for what's going to happen this weekend what about you two i think we um 
have a game where we actually I've taken the Chiefs minus nine point five, but I think we have a game where historically we're going to appreciate last year's 49ers team so much more and just how good they were. Because I think, like you, I don't. I think this is more likely to be a blow than it is to be a close game. And a, bit, a really key detail, Ronan mentioned the the throw to Scotty Miller at the end of the second quarter two weeks ago. That was such a major coaching error where they let that one-on-one happen in a situation where they shouldn't have. And then at the end of the game, they kicked the field goal for no reason. That just gave the game away. You're not going to get that kind of coaching mistake from Andy Reid. You're not going to get that from the Chiefs. So I, I think that's key details. All of the margins are within are, are going for the Chiefs. And the way I frame this is the Bucs can play the best possible game and still lose. The Chiefs can play their worst game and still win. So I, I have to just pick the Chiefs. Yeah, I, the, the dig about the... Or the pain you're bringing up about the 49ers. Thanks for that, Cian. Good stuff. <laughs> Ronan? Yeah, I picked the Chiefs minus 10 for last year's Super Bowl and I was quite confident they were going to get the job done. I was quite nervous for most of that game, but they, they, they turned it around and produced a, a brilliant fourth quarter. But I do have a feeling that the Bucs are going to win this game some way. And the, those injuries up front are a big deal for, for the Chiefs. And as much as... Eric Fisher isn't a household name in the same way Mahomes is or Kelsey or Hill. I think they will struggle without him. And I think the Bucs might just eke it out in this most strange of seasons. I think they might get the job done. All right, number five is uh, the quarterback carousel. What's it called? It's Deshaun with the wind, Chair. Deshaun Watson is going to be, as soon as the Super Bowl is over, all you're going to be hearing about is Deshaun Watson. And Maddie Stafford has set the floor and it's a very, very high floor for what value is for the quarterback market these days. And Adam Schefter, I saw tweeted maybe 10 days ago, his list of QBs with possible ulterior destinations or where they might not be at the team they're at currently come the start of next season. He set the over under at 18 quarterbacks on the move and he reckons it's going to be more than that. And you've already seen like of those 18 that he listed, there's some more even in the last 24 hours, the Raiders have been heavily linked with Deshaun Watson. So Derek Carr could be on the move. And two as well, isn't seemingly talked about as someone who's movable. But I very much think that he could be a piece that is used if the likes of Miami want to go for Deshaun Watson. Like, I think they will be throwing two in, much like Jared Goff was thrown into the, the Lions-Rams trade. But it just shows the Rams are a quite a hilarious case study in that they've basically... For the next decade, they've said, we're not that interested in the draft. We're more interested in right now than down the line. And they've, it's, it's very much win now mode for them. I know Stafford and Sean McVay of a similar age, actually, but they're, they're, they've been friendly for years. And it's, it, was Stafford the best possible option the Rams could have got? I'm not sure. I'm a big fan of him, but it was obviously that personal connection that got it over the line for them. But as much as Stafford is very interesting, and I'm glad to see him finally on a good team, I think where Deshaun Watson ends up, and it could well be Houston, like their public utterances are, there's absolutely no chance we're trading him. But I'd be, I'd be surprised if he's playing in Houston next season. I really, really hope he's not playing for Houston next season because he deserves to be free and playing on a good team with someone who will love him and give him what he needs. Because again, you know, he's not quite as good as Patrick Mahomes, but I'd love to see what he could do with a coach who understood what he was capable of and some stability. He, he may well be, um, you know, right there with him. Uh, and maybe he's his, his main rival for the next decade if he goes to the right team. Kim, if, if you're Deshaun Watson, are you forcing your way out of this? Because you know, no matter what happens in Houston, they're never going to get it right. I think there are a couple of different details here with Houston. And by the way, we all know what's going to happen. He's going to wind up with Patriots because that's the way this works. But um, I, I think there's a couple of details here. So, 
you go back to Watson signing his contract. When he signed his contract, he knew that the picks had been gone, that the roster wasn't going to get that much better. He didn't know that the show, that the Hopkins had been traded by that point, I don't think. But he knew that he was going to achieve, or he was going to tie himself to a team that wasn't going to be especially good moving forward. But he also seemed to uh, anticipate getting input on hiring processes and who was going to come in. And he wanted to be enemy, as far as I can tell. And the Texans basically had a meeting with him, listened to him, and then ignored him. And that's kind of what set this into extreme levels where he now just does not want to play with Houston. And we've seen this in the past. We've seen Jay Cutler force his way out of Denver because of Josh McDaniels. We've seen uh, Carson Palmer force his way out of Cincinnati. It's generally very difficult to do. And the challenge with Watson is, one, his contract is huge. So someone has to, whoever's taking him in has to take him on board. Part of the Rams and Lions trade is you're swapping QBs there. So you're giving out a big salary and you're bringing back a big salary. And even though Stafford is now a manageable contract at this stage. But for Watson, whoever takes him on has to have enough cap space to take him on. And then they've got to find uh, a place where they can have a price that's worth doing. Because it, like, if, if, if Matthew Stafford is worth two first-round picks, and forget about the golf element of it, if he's worth two first-round picks, Deshaun is starting at six. Because he's a young quarterback, he's a much better quarterback, and he's someone who you can build an offense and team around, an identity around. So because it, it starts at six, six picks, it, for me it's very difficult to say, this team is going to get him. This team is going to trade him. I think it's going to reach a point, a boiling point, where the Texans are going to have to accept a limited offer for him. And it's going to look really, really poor because they're going to have traded two first-round picks for Laramie Tunsil. They're going to have <laughs> traded away Desha- De- De- DeAndre Hopkins for nothing. And then they're going to be trading away Deshaun at a cut price. So the Texans as a franchise are in serious trouble. And throw all into this, J.J. Watt is going to be leaving this offseason. Like, J.J. Watt should leave. He's at that point in his career where he should leave. But they love him so much that they would rather have him play till he's 50 than have him play somewhere else. So the Texans fan base is about to take an absolute battering. They already have taken an absolute battering. And a, a big, massive reset button for them is coming soon. One last point on this before we move on. The, the Stafford trade, and uh, Ron is right to point it out, they, they essentially said we're not going to... It's going to be essentially a decade with no first-round picks. And, I mean, the last time that they picked somebody with it uh, was Goff, so not exactly great. I actually think that there is some merit in this, Keen, and that's um, if, a, if a general manager makes a mistake, they tend to get sacked if, it, if the mistake is around a quarterback. But it's okay to make mistakes and learn from that. And ultimately, if you have a, a team that has Aaron Donald and that has uh, now Matthew Stafford and that has Jalen Ramsey, for your collection of first-round picks, that's all right. That, that worked out okay. I, I think your idea is right. I think what you're saying about mistakes and long-term security for jobs, security for GMs is right. I agree with it. I think they've been a little bit too aggressive in the fact that they don't have any first-round picks. I think you can trade away some of your first-round picks, but you need that cap benefit where those contracts are controlled and they're cheaper. You're paying guys who are veterans, so that's massive salary inflation, which is limiting what you can do with the rest of your roster. But overall, my main problem with what the Rams have done is who they've spent it on. Getting Jalen Ramsey, Jalen Ramsey is a great player, but he's a cornerback, so he does have some limitations. That's uh, an issue. That's an issue that you can overcome. Stafford, to me, is not someone who you can actually go. Ooh, sorry, Staff- Stafford is not someone you can actually go after and say that he's worth this price to me because I think he's actually just a, uh, a stronger arm version of Goff, where he's going to make the same mistakes. He's a little bit more athletic. He'll play outside the structure a little bit better than Goff, but within structure, you'll get the same limitations. And my concern with the way this came about is they said Sean McVay fell in love with Stafford watching him. The problem with that is that Sean McVay falling in love with Stafford is something a lot of people have done where they see all the arm talent, they see all the potential, and they look past all the mistakes. 
Yeah, falling in love, not a great thing for uh, any sports team. Right, last one. No, on. I was just going to say, Jer, with um, obviously Deshaun Watson has a no trade clause, so he can veto any move. Whereas Stafford, I think, was reasonably open to any move, but he did, as reports have said, anywhere but the Patriots because he did not want to work with Matt Patricia again. So it is quite interesting that uh, even as much as renowned as the Patriots are, Stafford wasn't all that interested in going there. And like, who was in from? Carolina went from Denver went from the Colts is an interesting one to keep an eye on there was there were some rumors about Andrew Luck coming back I, Devin I Scott. Would, uh, hold my breath on that one yeah and then what Washington are looking for a quarterback as well so it's going to be very interesting to keep an eye on and the final thing in the pick six just as another look ahead to the 2021 season really is the the coaching reshuffle which is, has gone on Urban Myth is what I've gone for here because Urban Meyer is the guy that's been brought in to maybe bring Trevor Lawrence into the pro game. But Urban Meyer, not exactly... Like, if we look back on the history of college coaches segueing into NFL success, it's not all that lengthy. And it's a different mindset in terms of, like, grooming these younger lads and, and making them good characters and good players on the field, as opposed to coming into really high-paid players who are who know they're extremely talented, given that they're in this top 1% who've made it to the NFL. So it's a whole different game for Urban Meyer he's he sort of said that he will be delegating a lot and he will be more the figurehead than anything that the actual the on-field coaching will be will be left to his coordinators and so on but I think that is an interesting one there are a few other ones Eric Bieniemy, obviously conspicuous by his absence in that he wasn't interviewed as much as he as he merits really and hasn't got a job um, Brandon Staley has stayed in LA and gone to the Chargers and if I was uh, if you're talking about season tickets once the once we can actually go to sporting events again, if you're living in Los Angeles, the best value ticket in American sports is probably for that LA stadium where you get to see an alternative weeks. You get to see the Rams and the Chargers with pretty good, exciting quarterback players. Keen mentioned, not always consistent, but I Justin think with Herbert. Justin Herbert, Herbert and Matthew Stafford, if you're seeing them in alternative weeks, you're going to be fairly entertained for, for your money. So I'm looking forward to seeing what these new coaches can do. But as 2021, even at this juncture, I think, the Chiefs are going to be favourites heading into next season again. The Chargers head coach, uh, so they, they've taken the defensive coordinator from mm. the from the Rams, from the Rams, who was there and for he's a for, one former season. quarterback as well. He's, he was only there for one season, though, right? Yeah, in that role, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a big, it's like a very accelerated path to the top. If it works, fair play, but um, that's a lot of pressure. Same thing the Bengals did. Yeah, and the Cardinals skipped it all together and took Cliff Kingsbury from college, who they like just because he talked to Sean McVay once. It's um, it's going to be very interesting to see what the longevity of those coaches is. So, Keen, I don't know if there's anything you want to talk about the the coaching hires and all that kind of stuff um, on on this before we wrap up. Yeah, um, besides the Eagles coach having that very weird uh, interview, oh. uh, that that was bizarre. Uh, a lot of these coaching hires were uninspiring and ones that really I questioned. Uh, Scratch my head at Dan Campbell is insane. I don't know how the Lions have talked themselves into hiring him. The Brandon Saley, I can understand he did well for one year as a defensive co- a defensive coordinator, but changing that system for Justin Herbert again could have a massive impact in his development. The Broncos went from really excited about Drew Locke in uh, Rich Gangarello's offense. They changed to Pat Shermer's offense and Drew Locke fell, up, fell apart. So there's a fear of that with Herbert. I think Herbert's good enough to go past that because he showed such a broad skill set. But either way, I just, I'm just i not a big fan of any of the hires. None of them stood out to me as really, really exciting. All right, well, Robert Salager? Robert Salah, what do you think of oh, yeah. him at the Jets? I mean, I think um, I think the fact that Sean Watson keeps having it be known that he wants to play for Salah is very, very interesting. Like, 
there was the, uh, the one last thing. Uh, Houston got absolutely killed for giving uh, an interview to the QB whose name just I'm having a brain fart here. The oh, uh, Josh McCone. Yeah, there's one thing, right? If if it turns out that he is the next Kyle Shannon, then you you got you have to find out. And I I thought that okay, so it's a really badly run franchise, but they were getting hammered for this thing that they shouldn't have got hammered for because you need to do your due diligence and you need to just make sure that if you have somebody in the building who's a genius, you have to give them the opportunity to prove their case. Now, they didn't go with him in the end, so I think all was well that ended here, well. Sure, here, here my problem with that would be, look at the genius offensive coaches in the league. Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, uh, Andy Reid. They didn't come from stripping players. They all grew up and developed as coaches in different coaching roles. And that's the route they should be going rather than just going for these big name guys that they like. Yeah, it's just uh, he hasn't played quarterback, star, hasn't started for about a decade. So he's been holding a lot of clipboards, going through a lot of tapes, sitting in a lot of QB rooms, I think. And there's probably been a bit of that. Um, but I, anyway, look, uh, we'll get to see exactly how that all works out uh, when we come back for our pre-season. Uh, lads, thanks a million for joining us and uh, enjoy the game. This is the Super Bowl edition of The Snap. It's our Super Bowl special with Now TV. Catch the Super Bowl, the game itself, and the preview shows all weekend with a Now TV Sky Sports Pass. And uh, we'll see you real soon. Take care. The Snap Super Bowl preview on OTB Sports with Now TV. Catch all the action this weekend with a Now TV Sky Sports Pass.